0: If you have your Bibles, open them to Psalm 129. That's where we're going to be today. And as you're turning to open up your scriptures, I would like to recognize someone who's very, very special to our church that's celebrating a big, big and important milestone day in her life, and that is Mary McCready. Today is her 90th birthday, and I know. Well, I've been told that she's watching online, so I'm going to just have us all say "Happy Birthday" to Mary when I count to three, okay? And then uh, she'll be able to hear a birthday greeting from all of us. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Mary! We love you, and we're just so grateful to the blessing that you are to our lives, and celebrate with you on this special day. This has been a challenging year, and. If you've been watching the news and keeping up, uh, you know that this about this time last year that things began to change in a significant way uh, for for all of us, really around the world. And it's impacted us in very tragic ways. It's brought a lot of sadness. It's brought a lot of pain and suffering. But as we've made it through this time, I think we've also kind of been able to find some things that uh, are a little humorous and and kind of make us smile and chuckle. And so I thought today it would be a a good thing for us to do to just to uh, go back and remember kind of what started uh, off in some of these peculiar ways of this year. So if you remember around this time last year, there was a toilet paper shortage and here's a little meme that I collected. It says if you bought 30 rolls of toilet paper, you owe three to the church. Tithing is not canceled, okay? Um, yeah, okay. Not sure about that one. Sports was one of the first things that was impacted uh, as we began this time of quarantine. And, and uh, I love this one right here. This guy who's obviously a sports fan, he's looking out the window and he says, Day six of no sports, watching birds fight over worms. The Cardinals lead the Blue Jays three to one. Yeah, that's pretty good there. Um, <clears throat> We all, those of us who like to travel, it was really frustrating, and I thought this was a really classic uh, meme here, at the map for some weekend travel ideas. Where should I go next? Uh, And then it was hard on the moms, they had had, uh, teaching that was going on, the house just took a whole different feel. This one kind of made me nauseous, but I looked at it and I thought, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I like that one. I may have just ruined your lunch. I don't know. Um, we began to get try to adjust to social distancing, and uh, that became hard, and I like the, this one here, trying to find a hobby that meets the government rules on social distancing. I don't know if anybody here tried that, uh, but I'm not uh, going to try that one. Uh, this I found interesting because we we really relied on Twitter a lot uh, during this time and this person wrote I don't know how people in 1918 did their pandemic without the internet Uh, yeah something good to think about okay now this next one came out around the time of the Super Bowl and it is just downright mean okay I not to put this one in, but I thought in honor of Forey Grove that I would put this in. He wasn't really a great uh, cowboy fan, and so for, that's one for him. And then I love this one, I'm just amazed, I don't know if you are it too, but I'm amazed at Chick-fil-A. And somebody put this one, the whole country would be tested by midnight if Chick-fil-A was running the drive-through testing centers. Isn't that true? I tell you what, we've got to hand it to Chick-fil-A. There's something that they've got going on there, and I love that. Yeah, we're in the Psalms of Ascent, and it's a series that we're calling Lift Up Your Head, and these are songs of a pilgrimage, songs that family groups and and, uh, people who would leave their village and they would travel this long distance, most of the time by walking all the way to Jerusalem where it would be this huge reunion. This time in which all the Christians from all the, I mean, all the believers from all different places would meet there in Jerusalem for a festival. There were three festivals a year, and if they could, they would do this three times a year. And as as I've been studying this, I've been thinking, wow, you know, as you're walking, you have to talk about something. If you're singing these songs, what great material it would be to have group discussions about. That, that uh, fathers and, and their children, mothers and their children, grandparents could be having these really deep discussions about God, about who, who we are as a people, about the history, about relationships, about the value of, of family, all these wonderful conversations that would be taking place. And it just made me once again realize that these psalms of ascent were part of a journey, but it, was a, it wasn't just a physical journey, it was also a, a heart journey as well, because it was a psalm of transformation, a, a time in which God was working on everyone's hearts. And I've been also thinking that if these psalms were sung in order which I kind of think they are, because if you go back and you look at the first three, they're leaving songs. And then the songs in the middle, then you have the songs at the end. It seems to me that these were songs that were sung in order and may have represented different places in the journey. Psalm 121, for instance, speaks of seeing the hills in a distance. But when we get to Psalm 129, I, I think that it's, it's a time in which they're in the hills, They're in that really steep incline, a time of difficult walking, a time that was dangerous, and so I think that uh, I think that I identify with with, uh, singing songs like this and the journey. Uh, Hills and mountains are dangerous; they're they're hard to climb. It reminded me of a time in which I, when I lived in in Thailand as a missionary, we, Thailand's fairly close to Nepal, and so there were a couple of times when we would go over to Nepal and had these really incredible, challenging treks, and, and I remember one time when, when we were walking to Everest Base Camp there, every step was difficult, and there were so many dangers that were up there, just physical dangers, the lack of oxygen, just other, other dangers. And when you get to a point just uh, past the, the, the really last area where there's civilization before you get to the base camp, you, you came across these memorials. And it was so sobering to look at these memorials. They would be uh, rocks uh, that would be piled up, and I kind of think that maybe on this road as they would go into Jerusalem, that there would be these piles of rocks that would would remember people that had gone this way before, but the journey was too difficult. It may have been that they had a heart attack. It may have been that they had heat stroke. It may have been that that the bandits attacked them and... uh, you know, you remember the, the story that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan. It, there was a traveler that was going on that road, and the bandits met him and, and beat him and left him by the side of the road. This probably happened quite often. And so I think that uh, that as we look at these psalms, particularly Psalm 129, we realize that these are psalms that, that come out of pain, and they are Psalms in which the writer is expressing these deep feelings of of loss and oppression and shame and abuse, particularly Psalm one twenty nine. Now, some Psalm one twenty nine is also called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms. It's hard for me to even say it, much less understand what it what it is. If you look at uh, that, uh, the This psalm, if you try to look up the word, it means to call out a curse or to ask God to to punish the oppressors. And some people call it a war psalm. If you like the big word, you can use imprecatory. If you like the small word like me, you can just say it's a war psalm. But these are psalms, a special grouping of psalms in which they're really difficult to read. And one of the things that I love about Scripture particularly the book of Psalms, is that it doesn't gloss over these difficult subjects. The Psalms really are willing to go through these deep and difficult feelings. It doesn't ignore pain, and it doesn't preach a prosperity gospel. In fact, today's psalm is really pretty hard to read. If I were to to guess, I would guess that in your Bible, on Psalm 129, there's not a whole lot of notes that are written. Typically, we like to skip over it. It's difficult to read, but I really feel like for God to do the work inside of our hearts, we need to slow down and let God teach us some deep, deep principles. So in our lesson today, we're going to talk about two things. First of all, we're going to ask this question, what does this Psalm say? And then the second part of our lesson, we're going to ask the question, what does this psalm mean? So first of all, what does this psalm say? Well, let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, They've greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They've greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. First, right off the bat, whenever you're studying the Bible and something is mentioned twice, if you take notes or you write in your Bible you should put an exclamation point right there or put stars or, or highlight it in some way because that's the way the writers would say, this is important. Don't go too fast. And so the writer says here that uh, that greatly oppressed me from our youth. He's speaking for Israel. Greatly they have oppressed me from my youth. He's re- He's recalling long years of suffering that Israel's experienced, stretching back even to the early days that it was a nation. But they have not gained victory over me. I love that that powerful statement, that even though they've been oppressed all of these years, the oppressors have not gained victory over Israel. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says this, whereas most nations tend to look back on what they have achieved, Israel reflects here on what she has survived. Since her youth in Egypt, there have been many powerful enemies, Philistines, Amalekites, Moabites, Ammonites, Ammonites, Syrians, Assyrians, Babylonians, to name a few. Yet, although the enemies were so many, They had not prevailed against Israel. And so with all of this oppression that was there with Israel, there were scars, scars of this cruel history that they had endured. And in verse 3, there's this vivid word picture that's there. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. There's this picture of the back of a slave that's, that's been whipped, it's been scourged so much that, that the back looks like plowed. Scholar Matthew Poole writes this, plowed upon my back. They have not only thrown me down and trod me underfoot, but have cruelly tormented me, wounded and mangled me and had no more pity upon me than a plowman hath upon the hearth which he cuts up at his pleasure. So Israel had been abused. They'd been oppressed. And the, the psalmist makes a, an interesting picture, word picture, imagining the back of someone who's endured this impression, this oppression. But in verse 14, Four, we see the key verse I, in my Bible I've underlined this and highlighted it verse 4 says but even with all this oppression even with all this, this long history of abuse but though is righteous he has cut me free from the cords of the wicked what a, what a powerful statement here Our Deliverer is Yahweh, our God. And not only has He delivered me, I am free from the control of my oppressors. No longer do they tug on my heart and pull me towards evil and wickedness. You see, one of the fears of those who have been abused and oppressed and they bear the scars of mistreatment in the past is that they will take out their toxic anger and resentment on others, that they will continue this cycle of violence. You remember how God told Israel over and over, especially as they were in that training time in the wilderness in Exodus. He says, "'Remember what it was like for you to be a slave.'" So don't you take slaves. Don't you oppress others. And he says to Israel time and again that the choices that you make now are going to make an impact on the future, that the consequences of your sins are going to be felt generationally by the children to the third and to the fourth generation. But the beauty of this psalm right here in verse 4 is that not only has God delivered us from evil, but God has cut the cords of the wicked. Then in the latter part of the psalm, verses 5 through 8, it's as if the psalmist says, and God, I want you to teach him a lesson. He, He speaks to God and says, God... All those evil oppressors, I want them to be turned back in shame. And he, he says, you know how grass grows on the top of the roof, which is evidently common there when they have the winds and it grows some, it blows some soil and it and it collects on the top of the roof, and then there's a seed, grass seed that's there and it grows up. There's there's grass growing on the top of the roof, but it doesn't last very long because the soil is so Thin. there is no harvest. There is no reaping that takes place. And he says, God, I want it to be like that for my enemies. And not only that, God, you know how sometimes we might just haphazardly say, well, God bless you. God bless you as you're walking on the road. Even if somebody accidentally says, God bless you, don't do it, God. Don't bless them. Withhold your blessing. And that's how the of all, I think it's just obvious, the first lesson that just jumps out is that we live in a world of evil, pain, suffering, and injustice. But I think it's important for us to make a footnote here that the the story of the Bible doesn't begin in Genesis 3. After the fall, the story has to begin in Genesis 1 and 2. You see, God created the world. The world that God created was not one where there was pain, suffering, death, tears. It was in Genesis 3 that man and woman were tempted. And the evil one went to them and said, you know, God's withholding stuff from you. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because if you ate that fruit, your eyes would be open and you would be like God. You see, deep down, all of us, I think, may want to be like God, and so Satan took advantage of that, and by disobeying, evil was brought into this world, and so now we live in a world of evil. Many times we say we divide our scriptures out into two different sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but really another way we could divide scripture is Genesis 1 and 2, the way God created, and then Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, which is how God is bringing back His kingdom. And in Revelation, you read about the new heaven and the new earth, where Where Jesus is going to reign forever and ever, and that is where we're going. And Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so, yes, we live in an evil world. And as I look out and I look into your faces, I've walked with you long enough to know that many of you carry with you burdens. You've been touched by evil. Many of you have been touched by wicked people who oppressed you, who abused you, who controlled you, took advantage of you because they were living selfish lives for their own gain. And then sometimes there's evil that comes from the hands of others, but they really didn't intend to. It was more accidental. But they made choices that brought suffering and loss to others. And then sometimes there's unintentional accidental harm that's here in this world. It's not necessarily by a person, but it's more wrong. We've dealt with is just disease and how disease is Satan's tool to bring pain and suffering to those that he's trying to get them to take their eyes off of God and put it on themselves or for them to listen to his whispers of the fact that he's trying to get them to to understand or think that God hasn't loved them anymore. I've grown to hate cancer, and right now I really, really hate cancer. I've grown to hate Alzheimer's and dementia, and I really, really hate the evil of those diseases. I hate COVID-19 for the pain that brought to so many of you personally in, in our church family and for the suffering that's been around the world. I feel like all of these are tools of the evil one, the prince of the world, he's called. It's an attempt to pull us away from the Creator. But I love how Paul writes about this from a, from a, a perspective of looking at it from a wide angle. And, and he says to the church at Ephesus, he says, in, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the context of this psalm, Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, look at Jesus. He says, Jesus' ministry began with 40 days of temptation, and and it concluded with his crucifixion. There were cunning attempts to get him off track. Every temptation designed or disguised as a suggestion for improvement, offered with the best intentions to help Jesus in the ministry which he had so set out. The way of Jesus' faith is the way that our faith should be. So this points us back to that key verse in this psalm. But the Lord is righteous. I've circled the word but there in my Bible. I want my eyes to be drawn there. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. This should be one of your favorite verses from now on. It should be one that you you highlight, one that you memorize, one that you draw strength from. But the Lord has cut the cords of the wicked. And so we live in this world of evil, but the Lord has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. The reality is, is that we live in a world of evil, but you and I both know that evil is also inside of us. There's evil out there, but there's also evil inside. Here, And the cure is not self-help. The cure is not stronger adherence to the law. The, the cure is not to try harder or to obey more. Because we can do all this and we can still be connected to the course, to the source of our evil. And that's why what's written in Psalms 129 verse 4 is so profound that we've been cut free From the cords of the wicked. Now we have to remember that the psalmist is writing centuries before Jesus ever comes. The psalmist has no idea how how the, the cutting of the cords of the wicked was going to take place. But the psalmist knows that the Lord is righteous and it's going to happen. And so I think it's really beautiful for us on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb, to go back and to look at this in vivid color. And this is what the writers of the New Testament did. And I'm just going to give you a few examples of this as we end up today. And it may be that you want to write these verses down and go back and, and really work through them through this week because these are so important. But we're going to just read them right now. Galatians 3.13 But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. When Jesus was hanging there on the cross, It was this visual reminder that he wasn't just dying physically. He was dying spiritually for you and me. He was taking the punishment of having to go into the realm of the dark one to meet the prince of darkness face to face. But because Jesus was God, he rose up from that, and we've we've been able to celebrate the victory that Jesus has brought us. Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death, physical death and spiritual death. Jesus freed us from that penalty. Colossians 1.13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And then because we've been transferred into this kingdom of light, we can see our life, our purpose differently. And so Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Whereas before, this could never even be thought of as something that we could do. Now, because of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can actually overcome evil by doing good. The cords of the wicked have been cut. And Jesus says to us, things that were crazy back then. He says, if you follow me as my disciples, love your enemies Love your enemies. Not only that, you bless those who persecute you. Can you imagine? That if someone strikes you in the face, you turn the other cheek. You don't have to respond in a violent way to violence. And he says, if you see your oppressor walking by carrying a heavy load, You go, and you actually do more than is required. You walk even further, walking that extra mile, even with your oppressor. I love Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul writes, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. And he follows that up just a few verses later in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. He planned for us long ago. You see, we know that this is because Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. It's only possible through Jesus that God, who is righteous, was able to cut the cords of the wicked. And this is the good news. This changes everything because now we have hope. Now we have a whole different vision of why we're here and and who is our hope. And we can live each day with purpose. So I'm going to end our lesson today in a way that many of you have heard lessons ended when Fory preached. In the words of Fory, he says if you need a savior, his name is Jesus. What a great, powerful message. As I'm looking out, I see many of you who need a Savior. The name of that Savior is Jesus. We're going to sing a song celebrating this Savior, Jesus, Christ alone. And then later on, if you'd like to continue this conversation about Jesus, if you'd like to know more about why It's so important to follow Jesus. If you'd like to reread these passages, if you'd like to talk about baptism, I'm going to be in the Welcome Center with several other elders and others, and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you more. But let's celebrate the victory, the grace that we have through Jesus by singing this song in Christ alone. If you need a Savior, His name is Jesus.